Uh, Last week we started looking at a character in the Bible. His name is Bartimaeus. Uh, The story goes that he was what the scripture calls a blind beggar. And he was sitting on the side of an old dusty road right outside of Jericho when Jesus and his companions, the scripture says, some of his disciples but also a large crowd began to leave the city. And Bartimaeus began to shout for Jesus, 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 son of David, have mercy on me. That's in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open there. If you're here this morning or you're online with us and uh, you don't have a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, We study from it every week. I know many people use their electronics. They have the Bible app and all hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of translations But some of us still love that old printed Bible. And if that's you and you need a copy, please let me know. We'd be glad to give you one. In Mark chapter 10 is the story that we're looking at this morning. We started looking at it last week. We're going to conclude this morning's uh, service by looking at it again. Last week we were trying to understand a little bit about Bartimaeus. Uh, What can we learn from Bartimaeus about humanity? What can we learn from Bartimaeus about humans seeking Jesus? This morning, we're not going to really study Bartimaeus. What we're going to do instead is learn the character and the values in the heart of Jesus. Uh, I want to end our time this morning with you discovering a little bit more about the way that Jesus operates in the world. So let's look in it in verse 46 is where it begins. It says, They came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd... Uh, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, your translation, there should be an exclamation point there. He's there on the side of the road and he's beginning to shout and yell for for Jesus to have mercy on him. Verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Again, yelling. And verse 49 says, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed on the way. Now, if you're looking at this text this morning and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wish that I had not missed last week. uh, You can go back and look at it online in its full and entirety. But I'm going to summarize what we talked about last week. I want you to know some things about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus first understood his need. Last week, we celebrated the fact that Bartimaeus understood he had a need. And we also thought about the reality that you and I, everybody who's here this morning, everybody who was here last week, everybody who will be here next week, we all have needs. The blessing that Bartimaeus had was that he knew his need. He understood that he had need. He had a physical need. Some of us have physical needs here this morning. Some of our needs may be spiritual. Some of our needs may be emotional. Some of our needs may be uh, relational. But he understood his need. He also refused to be silenced. Last week we coined a term called holy stubbornness. 
Now he was there on the side of that dusty road and he saw that Jesus, I shouldn't say he saw, he was blind. He didn't see that Jesus was uh, walking down the side of the road. He heard that Jesus was walking down uh, the road and he was crying out. And the scripture says he was rebuked, but he refused to be quiet. And it says he called out all the more. He had a holy stubbornness about him that would not be silenced. He was prepared to respond. He threw off his cloak and he sprang up and he went right to Jesus. He answered wisely when Jesus says, what do you want? He was prepared to respond. He said, oh, Rabbi, let me have my sight. He answered wisely. And he understood the implications of being healed and restored and touched by Jesus. The scripture says that after he had an interaction with Christ, after Christ restored him and healed him and uh, gave him his sight back, he became a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that when Christ worked in his life, there was this transition moment where he was going to become a follower of Jesus. And so last week we focused on Bartimaeus. And this morning we're focusing on Jesus. If you have your notes, you see that I want to make uh, three main points uh, for our consideration this morning. Not only because they teach us a little bit about the character and the value system of Jesus, but because there's a direct there's a direct application for our life. Let me share with you the first. The first thought that I want to share with you this morning about uh, the character of Jesus is that even in a noisy crowd, Jesus responds to somebody's cry for help. Now we see that in the scripture. It's as clear as it could be. There's a crowd. There's a group of people there. There's movement. There's stuff happening. They're on the road. They're traveling. It's loud. It's noisy. It's dusty. There's all kinds of things happening. But one of the things that's true is that there's a man there that has a need and he's crying out for Jesus. And if you're making notes this morning, if you're the note taker type of person, may I just encourage you not to write down that Jesus heard the cry for help because he did more. That's why I chose that word respond kind of strategically. Jesus didn't just hear the cry for help. Jesus responded to the cry for help. And I want for us to look at that in the scripture. It starts out in verse 46. They came to Jericho. They're leaving Jericho. While they're leaving Jericho, Jesus is with his disciples. That's a group of people. And a great crowd. That's another group of people. Bartimaeus, who is a blind beggar, uh, who is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus, he started crying out, There's the cry for help. And they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Verse 48, but he cried out all the more. There's the cry for help again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 49 says, and Jesus stopped. And I want to give you that phrase this morning as a tremendous source of hope and excitement and encouragement for your soul. At a busy place with important things happening, a busy Messiah with a busy crowd on a busy road, when somebody cried out for help, Jesus stopped. I cannot overemphasize the importance of that for you and I. 
I mean, when you think about the story, when you think about the text, there's so many reasons for him to not stop. In fact, that's what the disciples were thinking, and that's what was on the mind of the crowds when this dusty beggar on the side of the road starts yelling for Jesus. Hey, man, be quiet. We're doing important stuff over here. This Messiah is busy. We're on the way out of Jericho to the next town. There's a full itinerary of ministry. We've got to be here. There's a healing at 2. There's a sermon at 5. Like We've got important stuff to do. But do you see what happened? Jesus stopped. I want you to hear this this morning, not just with your ears, but with your heart. You have to understand that in the seasons of life where everything is kind of like passing you by, you feel like you're sitting on the side of an old, dusty, dirty road and the world is passing you by. The disciples are running out ahead. There's a great crowd dancing and rejoicing around Jesus and telling him how great he is. And there you are, broken on the side of the road, wondering if he hears you, he does. And he does more than that. He stops for you. If you're in Christ... There was a time in your life where you were like Bartimaeus. Crying out to Jesus. You probably had a lot of things going on in your life. Some of them may not be great. But you cried out. And Jesus stopped. And I know that that phrase is so easy for us to pass over. But dear friend. This morning would you let that phrase Grip your heart. When the world was passing this guy by, Jesus stopped. He stopped for blind, dusty, begging Bartimaeus because he was crying out to the son of David for mercy. He stopped. Not only did he stop But the second thing that I want to say to you this morning, the second idea that I think is noteworthy for us is in regards to the mission of Jesus, uh, his ministry or mission, call it whatever you want. But one of the things that I think is important for you and I to, to realize directly stemming from this story is that the mission of Jesus will not be prevented by the voice of the masses And I want you to know, like, as I start explaining this thought, it's going to hit you both uh, in the very encouraging way and in the very convicting way. God's word has a tendency to do that for us, doesn't it? It's like when you think about it from this angle, man, that's awesome. But when you think about it from this angle, ouch. That's what God's word does for us. That's why we need it so desperately. Here's what I want you to consider this morning. I want you to consider the fact that Jesus was the only one there that had the heart to stop and hear Bartimaeus out. Uh, His desire was to stop and to bring healing and, and to rejuvenate and to reconcile and to bring this man's health back to him, his physical needs back to him. That was the heart of Jesus, but nobody else there saw it that way. Here's the ouch part. Even his disciples. 
As they're walking out of Jericho, Bartimaeus is yelling for Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on him. And everybody is rebuking this guy, telling him to shut his mouth. What does that mean? That means the popular voice of the moment was one thing, but Jesus did the opposite. That meant that that day, if you would have held a little election, I'm going to be careful, I know we're coming up on elections, but if you would have held a vote that day, it would have been a landslide. Pass this dusty bum and let's get on to ministry. Jesus wasn't interested in the popular vote. His ministry, his mission, was not going to be deterred, off-railed, derailed, or prevented, no matter how many voices devalued that man. You know what Jesus saw when he looked at him? Someone who'd been made by Jesus in the image of God. And this is something that not only is terribly convicting, but so infinitely encouraging. And here's why it's convicting for me, because I'm a lead pastor of a church. I serve with a body of elders and on a staff. And we are perpetually praying through and thinking through and trying to discover and talking with other churchmen. What is the will of God for us? And sometimes we get it wrong. But thanks be to God that even when your beloved pastor gets it wrong, Jesus doesn't. That is encouraging to me. Even when these disciples got it wrong, and they didn't just get it wrong, like this was bad wrong. This was way wrong. This was shut your mouth yelling out for Jesus, we're too busy for you. Wrong, wrong. That's wrong. (laughs) And Jesus wouldn't be stopped. Can I speak a word of confidence to you today? I know that you turn on the news and it's a dumpster fire every night. I know you look at social media and you think Jesus must be coming back because there's nothing left. This place. Like I know that there's a lot of anxiety in the world today. I know that there's a lot of different voices seeking to capture your ears and your hearts. But I just want to say a brief but simple word. Jesus is not stopped for anyone or anything. And to the extent even that the church would get it wrong, Jesus will continue to execute his will on this planet because he is a good, good Lord. Isn't that good? I want to say to you also, A word about Jesus' ability to transform. You see, that's the third part of what we're talking about today. The the transformation that Jesus brings is actually twofold. There's two profound transformations that happen in this text that we've looked at. Now, probably, uh, it doesn't take a theology degree to pick out the first one. You probably have picked it out. Everybody has probably picked it out last week if you were here last week. Or if not, then certainly you caught it the first time around that we read the text this morning. It's... The fact that Jesus gives Bartimaeus 
his sight back. He transforms this man's physical life. And that's important. In fact, that's kind of critical and central to the story. But I would submit to you this morning that there is another transformation that happens that is equally important. And I want to share it with you. It's the transformation of the crowd. It's the transformation of the crowd. When we look at this text, here's what we find. We find at the opening a crowd that functions as an obstacle. Their perspective is negative of Bartimaeus. Their voice is preventative of Bartimaeus. And their actions are obstacles to Bartimaeus. They are actually rebuking this guy, telling him to close his mouth, stop crying out for Jesus, and on and on and on. So when we see this crowd, there's disciples in it, there's a great crowd of people there, they begin to rebuke him. When we experience and when we uh, run into this crowd for the first time, what we discover is that the crowd is functioning as an obstacle for Bartimaeus to get to Jesus. And then verse 49 happens. And I want you to see how uncoincidental this is. Verse 49 says, And Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. Do you know what Jesus did in that moment? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't need that crowd. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus can accomplish whatever Jesus wants to accomplish without any of those people. He could have said, hey, Bartimaeus, wave your hand if you can hear me. Yep, you. Come down, I want to talk to you for a second. But he didn't do that. He looked at the crowd and he said, call him. In that moment... Jesus wasn't just going to transform Bartimaeus' sight. He was going to transform the very DNA of how that crowd operated. Because they went from obstacles to encouragers. Jesus said, call him. And he turned them from those who are blocking Bartimaeus from seeing Jesus Look what he said. Look what they say. When Jesus says, call him, look what they say in verse 49. Their very next words, after they're rebuking him, after they're telling him to be quiet, look what they say in verse 49. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Jesus transformed the crowd. I think that's applicable for us. Because I think it's important for us to pause and to think about areas in our life that we may be functioning the way this crowd was functioning when we first started the text. And we need the power of Jesus in our life to transform us so that we can function in the life of somebody else. And the second part of the story, where we're not obstacles, where our voice is not hindering somebody from seeking Jesus, but instead it's encouraging it. Instead, we are in a place under the hand and the might of God so that we are encouraging 
ushering, bringing people to Jesus. I think that's a remarkable transformation. I hope that that's a transformation that you will have in your own life. Now, this morning we've said a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, One of the reasons that we're going to pause here in the teaching for today is because our the way that we're closing this morning is a little bit special. Uh, and so in just a moment, uh, we're going to have a season of prayer. Uh, as we turn our attention away from the notes that you have in your uh, lap there and the Bible that you have open, I just want to ask you to take what we've looked at this morning home with you and reflect on it and see if once again the Lord Jesus doesn't just kind of like rearrange our mind and our thinking about how good he is and, and how transforming Jesus is. And we look at this story. Some of you grew up in church. You've probably read the story a thousand times. And this morning you're looking and going, whoa, he did transform the crowd. Jesus is so good. And I hope that this type of action is happening in your life as well. But as I said, we're going to close with a time of prayer. Uh, many of you know our elder Richard Moskus. Uh, he is a dear brother, an incredible, incredible servant in the Lord. And uh, he is going to be getting on an airplane tomorrow to go on a very important trip. He's going to be gone three and a half weeks. He's going to be going to see six of the workers that we partner with on a monthly basis, those that we pray for and support, and many of them that we've even sent from here at the fellowship. He's going to be gone for three and a half weeks. He's going to go visit six of our uh, partners, six of our workers. Another important number is 65. Do you know what 65 represents in this story? 65 hours this dear brother is going to be on an airplane over the next three and a half weeks. God bless his soul. That's a lot. We want to pray over him before we go today. So I'm going to ask Richard. And Denise is here as well. Denise, would you come down? We want to be praying over Denise as well in this season. Uh, I'm going to ask them to stand right here. And we're going to close our time uh, just by praying over them. Um, We'll be praying for travels. We're praying for Denise as she uh, stays back and takes care of the home front. We'll be praying over her for God's peace to abide in her heart. We're praying for Richard as he travels, that the Lord would bless, anoint, and use his travels We'll be praying very practical things that everything he eats will agree with him. Uh, For the flights to be on time, connecting flights to just be right on on the target. But even more than that, that, um, that those workers would be encouraged. You, my friend, are sending Richard. The church is sending Richard. Uh, You're a part of this trip. And one profound way that you can be a part of it is by praying for Richard, but also by praying for Denise as well. Praying for all of those interactions that Richard will have with our partners, that God would bless those interactions, that great edification and encouragement and learning would happen, and that there would just be some beautiful moments uh, in, in the life of this trip. So if, if you would like, in a moment we're all going to stand, but if you would like to come and just gather around Denise and pray for her and gather around Richard and pray for him, then you're going to have that opportunity to come forward. Uh, would you stand to your feet this morning? And if you would like to, would you come down right now and just gather around this 
wonderful couple and just start praying over them. In a couple of moments, I'll close us in prayer. But I want to give the church an opportunity to be a family for this couple. Gather around them in support and love and just pray. If you will not be moving this way, you're not coming down, would you place your hands out kind of in a way that points towards Richard and Denise so that all together we've joined our hearts and our minds in prayer. I want to give you a moment to just intercede for them, for travel mercies, for conversations, for Denise. you're worshiping with us online we want you to participate with us would you take some time to pray with us father we thank you that you have designed the church to be a family it's our privilege and honor to be the family with Richard and Denise. We love them so much. We're so grateful for their loving care, for their ministry with and to us here at the fellowship. I pray over my sister. And she puts her sweet husband on an airplane for three and a half weeks that you would abide with her. We know that you will. That you would remind her that she is loved. She would put her trust and hope in you as Richard travels from country to country. Would you steady her heart? Would you touch her mind? Would you remind her that there's a whole church family that loves her and stands with her and that prays with her in this season? For Richard, as he travels to new places and new time zones and new food choices and new languages and all of the new things that will happen over and over and over for him over the next three and a half weeks. We trust your provision for his life. We know that you love this brother. We know that you've called this brother. We know that you have spoken directly to him and called him out for this trip. And so we trust that whatever he needs, you will meet that need. And in the moment, you will step into that need and and be an abundant need provider once again. Oh, Lord, would you bless his time? Would you encourage his heart? Would you, in a way that only you can, miraculously, abundantly, would you allow the love that we as a church have for these workers to flow through Richard? May they be cognizant of how much we support them and love them with their interaction with Richard. We pray over this family, Lord. We ask your blessings over this family. We thank you for this family, Lord. We pray together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.